0: Hello and welcome to ACS Chemical Biology's podcast for December 2013. I'm Ranjini Prithviraj, filling in for Jay Suarez, Managing Editor for ACS Chemical Biology. The current issue of ACS Chemical Biology comprises 23 articles, including a paper by Tim Haystead, who talks about a new method to inhibit specific kinases of therapeutic interest. I have Tim here on the phone to tell us more about the article. Hi, Tim.
1: Hi, nice to be here.
0: Your latest paper in ACS chemical biology describes a new strategy to selectively inhibit the DAP kinase 1 and the ZIP kinase. What roles do these kinases play that make them attractive drug targets?
1: Well, they have two functions in cells as kinases. The ZIP kinase, which is also a member of the DAP kinase family, it's called DAP kinase 3. We've been working on that for almost two decades, I think. It regulates myosin phosphorylation in cells and promotes calcium sensitization, particularly in smooth muscle. And it has an important role in controlling smooth muscle contraction through phosphorylation of myosin light chain, either directly or through a phosphatase that regulates myosin dephosphorylation. And then the DAP kinases, or DAP kinase 1 at least, has roles in mediating cell death through non-apoptotic pathways. And it's thought to be pro-apoptotic or or pro-death And in response to uh, anoxias and uh, different environmental stresses, mainly, and its targets aren't as well-defined as ZIP kinase or TAP kinase 3, but clearly activation of that enzyme has consequences on cellular function, certainly promoting cell death.
0: Could you briefly describe your new approach for identifying compounds that inhibit these kinases?
1: It's a variation on the technique we call proteomining. It was actually the basis of a company I had formed in 2000 called Serenex, and it was used there to discover a novel HSP-19 inhibitor that's actually in clinical trials and was acquired by Pfizer in 2008. And that method was really uh, focused on defining attractive small molecules for med Now, the new method is a variation. It's a more target-based approach in which we use this GOP fusion. We decide what target we're trying to hit, which is more of a classical way of doing things. But it uses the same affinity methodology based on binding to ATP that we did in the original proteome mining method. It's just that now, in this case, we were interested in defining inhibitors of ZIP kinase. In the old method, we were sort of screening a a true chemoproteomic approach, which was to try and define multiple targets within a chemical library and then use mass spectrometry to sort of pair those inhibitors in the library against many, many ATP-binding proteins at once and then taking the best hits, the best medicinal chemistry hits, matching them with attractive targets and then pursuing those targets with a chemical starting point. With this new method, it's more applicable to the academic setting, which is to take a target that we've decided is a validated target, like ZIP kinase, and trying to find inhibitors for it and by following the fluorescent fusion protein elution from the ATP resin. That's the difference from our previous method and how we use that to uh, identify inhibitors uh, for that kinase.
0: And finally, could you comment on the potency and selectivity of the compound you identified using this methodology?
1: Yeah, well, I think that's a big testament to the approach because... We actually sent our hits, the compound we call HS38, blindly to a few of the kinase profiling centers. One of these was in Dundee in Scotland, and their top hit was DAP kinase 1. Their next hit was PIM kinase 3, and then all the next hits were at least a log away. So the potencies of the PIM 3 and the DAP kinase were in the animal range, and the next ones up were a good log away from that, which was the PIM1. And then we had two logs to three logs away from any other off target kinases. And then after that, there were no other kinases that were being hit at all in that assay. So it's quite an extraordinary hit, really. When you looked at the relationship between the PIM kinases and the DAP kinase or ZIP kinase, you'll see they're very, very close in the kinome. Both enzymes belong to the CAMK branch of the uh, kinome, and none of the other kinases within the CAMK family, which is about 60-odd kinases in that particular branch, were touched, especially things like myosin-light chain kinase, which is immediately close to the DAP kinases. They were three logs away um, from any sign of inhibition. So it's quite extraordinary that we had the active RX screen done. And those came up with almost the same answer. They only identified the DAP kinase family members. They had 18 animal for DAP kinase 2. And DAP kinase 1 and 3 were about 120 animal, I think, or in that range. But no hits on any other enzymes other than the kinase, even the PIM kinases. There are some differences between the active RX assay and R assay and the enzyme assays that might explain why they didn't see the PIM kinases. But on the whole, coming out of a raw screen, I think that's pretty extraordinary to have such selectivity.
0: That is very promising. Thanks, Tim. Welcome. Our final author for today is Zele Chen, who reports a new and improved cell delivery system. Hi, Zele. Thank you for being here. Hi. Could you give us a brief overview of known vehicles for intracellular delivery that are currently available?
2: Basically, currently, there's a modified liposomes and the cell-penetrating peptides. So modified liposomes basically are these lipid droplets, and then you modify these lipids so that they can fuse with the cell. And for the cell-penetrating peptide, basically, these are either naturally present or synthetic proteins or peptides that has the ability to penetrate the cell membrane.
0: You report a new cell-penetrating polypeptide called B1. How was it discovered?
2: Yeah, so it was a little bit serendipitous. So our initial idea was to try to find uh, peptides that can inhibit the replication of hepatitis C virus. So we developed a genetic screen, and then in the iterative round of screening, we found a fragment getting very strongly enriched after about nine rounds of screening. And then later on, when we characterized this fragment, it turned out to be a frame-shift green fluorescent protein, so it was not what we intended to discover in the beginning. So during our uh, characterization of this protein, we found out, uh, in addition to inhibit hepatitis C virus, this protein, which is called B1, can also very efficiently enter the cell. So that's how it was found.
0: Oh, and finally, why should researchers pursue B1 instead of previously described vehicles?
2: So basically for two reasons. First of all, B1 has very high uh, cell-penetrating efficiency. So we compared the efficiency of B1 with previously discovered the cell-penetrating peptide. The most well-known is the Tat peptide, which was present in HIV. So compared to these peptides, B1 can very much more efficiently deliver its cargo to the cells. So, for example, when you fuse B1 to a large protein, it can take that protein into the cell. And also, more importantly, B1 can take the cell very efficiently into the cytosol. So basically, when something gets into the cell, in most time it enters, ends up in the endosome and then goes to the lysosome and then basically gets degraded. So in our assay, we show that when the protein is fused to B1, they can very efficiently enter into the cytosol, which can access the cellular machinery. And also, B1 is a charged protein, so it's positively charged. So we show that if you put B1 with, say, messenger RNA, the RNA will bind to the B1, and then B1 will take this RNA into the cell. The efficiency of B1 taking mRNA into the cell is very similar to the commercially available cationic lipids. So basically, B1 has a very high efficiency of carrying cargos into the cell. And second is it's a distinct mechanism. So since it was discovered fortuitously and what we found is it's different from existing charged protein and also other cell-penetrating peptides. So since it's very big, it's much bigger than other cell-penetrating peptide. so we think this unique mechanism which gives room for improvement since there was no engineering involved in making this one better. So we think... We want to do some more additional studies. Try to improve the transfer efficiency of B1. So basically, two reasons: one is its high efficiency, and secondly, it's a unique and distinct mechanism. That was
0: great. Thanks, Zele. All
2: right. Thank you.
0: To learn more about our authors of the manuscripts in the current issue, please see the introducing our authors section on the web. This month, we feature eleven young scientists: Katie Aldred. David Carlson, Michael Cucurris, Eugene Feng, Monica Gatti, Sanjay Hari, Jeffrey Rudolph, Heidi Schwanz, Andrew Storaska, Harish Vashisht, and Joseph Wang. Read the section and get a younger chemical biologist's perspective on their research. We continue to describe chembio glossary terms on the air. This month's key phrase is somulation which is a major post-translational modification which alters the functions and fates of diverse proteins by changing their subcellular localizations, protein-protein interactions, stabilities, or catalytic activities, thereby regulating multiple biological systems including transcription, intracellular transport, DNA repair, replication, and cell signaling. Simulation is catalyzed by a multi-step enzymatic cascade similar to that of ubiquitination. For more information on simulation, please refer to the manuscript by Akihiro Ito and colleagues in the current issue. That's it for this month's show. Join us again next month for more ACS chemical biology highlights and interviews with our authors. To learn more about the journal, please visit us at pubs.acs.org forward slash journal forward slash ACBCCT. Thank you all for listening.